All right. Well, welcome to Saka's Is That So. Today, I have a very special guest. I am speaking to Jada Sazer, and she is a former model and a content creator on Instagram with more than 300,000 followers, but is now currently looking at angel investing. So welcome to the show, Jada. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Well, why don't we just dive straight into it? I'm sure people are curious about about your background and how you kind of got into modeling and content creation in the first place. So uh, walk us through a bit about how you got into this uh, field in the first place and kind of your experience. Sure. So I was studying a master's in child psychotherapy. And whilst I was doing that, Instagram had just started and I began campaigning using Instagram as a tool to campaign for more diversity in the fashion industry because a lot of the young girls I was working with had eating disorders or body dysmorphia or like low self-esteem and confidence. And I noticed that the role that media and advertising had to play in that, especially when you don't see yourself reflected back or if you do like a lot of the girls I was working with lose like dramatic amounts of weight. At first it's almost congratulated. And so I kind of grew up with a great sense of self. Um, I'm half Turkish, half Spanish, and came from a big family where food was something we all had brilliant conversations around. And although I had always been like five foot nine, curvy girl, and probably a bit larger than the majority of my friends, I like grew into my body a lot earlier than my friends. I did feel a little bit left out in my peer group to some degree. But that was also, again, reinforced by advertisement and media. And so I kind of got into modeling because I became the model. Um, I made myself the model. I put myself in front of the camera and decided to sort of like creatively direct my own shoots of how I wanted women like me to look. And I didn't necessarily care if it was me, but it was easier for me to be in front of the camera than getting other people, like convincing other girls and like building their self-confidence and be like, come on, you can do it. And so I just was like, right, this is easy. Let's just do it. Um, A few of my images went viral at the very start because there wasn't a lot of plus size models in the UK. This was like 11 years ago, which doesn't seem long at all, but we have come leaps and bounds since in this particular industry. And within a few months, I was asked to be the face of the first ever plus size show during London Fashion Week. I had no modeling experience. I had bleach blonde hair. I was very, very confident, but actually (laughs) looking back, I I looked very interesting (laughs) and had that unique style, I guess. From then, I was then scouted by one of the UK's leading agency. I became a model. I finished off my master's and I didn't go on and do my doctorate and decided to focus on disrupting the fashion industry and simultaneously creating content of how I wanted to see advertising and media and brands, you know, showcase plus size fashion to me. Within four or five years, I had really built a profile and a name for myself in the space traveled the world I lived in New York I lived in Australia I worked all around Europe and I loved it but what I was really passionate about was constantly helping other people with their mental health so I continued to content create and you know talk about the sort of skills that I had learned whilst I was studying my master's and my undergraduate in psychology and counseling as well as do some charity work I've partnered up with Save the Children with Young Minds with Heads Together and most recently UN Women. And so I work with them consulting on campaigns and supporting their campaigns. 
And I'd say probably in the last two years of the pandemic, I, after being in the industry, bear in mind for about 10 years, I realized like, I feel like my job is done. I think I'm very mission driven and had reached my peak in that space. And I also felt like the market was saturated and I could not express how incredible that was to actually have a saturated market of different body types of brands wanting more body different like body types. But not only that, more skin types, more like ethnic ethnic diversity, more um, body diversity, like whether you are um, in a wheelchair or not, like all of that was something we are now in advertising and media really promoting like it almost has to be the baseline of your type of content otherwise people will call you out for it so I felt like I'd done my job and there's like new bigger voices in the space that are pushing it even further which I'm I'm really excited for and I think there's still a long way to go but um yeah decided to take a step back and really reflect on where I want to be now where I want to put my energy um I still content create at the moment, it's all about transitions because that's what I'm in the transition of, figuring it all out, especially as somebody like a woman in her thir- early 30s. It's, I think it's quite a um, universal feeling that I'm feeling and people are really resonating with that. Yeah, yeah, wow. So we'll come into a bit about the transition phase later on, but I do want to make sure we don't miss out on some of the great stuff you mentioned earlier on, which I resonate with, especially in regards to how a startup or someone that's pioneering something goes through the transitions of being a pioneer, being the first person to try something out to, you know, it going viral, as you mentioned, kind of like yourself, how you went viral and then things becoming mature and saturated. It sort of mimics the startup uh, flow where you're probably the first company to try something out and then no one's done it before. You're kind of like a pioneer, you get adoption and then it gets to the point there's like 28 or 30 different companies doing the same thing you're doing. So why don't we go through a bit of that journey? So earlier on, you're like starting something with the fresh, you're on probably a new platform at that time, Instagram, and you're doing something new. What was going through your mind? Um, and how exactly did you go viral? Were you planning on going viral? Did you actively and consciously create content to try and go viral and, and create that buzz around what you're doing? Or was it just like, hey, I just want to post this stuff on this new platform that no one's really using, but I see the potential in the future mm. for this to be a big platform. I kind of walk us through you being a pioneer yeah. starting out on Instagram in the first place. So everything I did was completely organic with no game plan. I I had never done it before, so I didn't know what worked or what didn't. I have nothing to compare to. We also didn't know how big Instagram was going to be. At the time, it was a photo sharing, editing platform, like filters. You, you would post up the same image and use it as different filters um, with different filters. So it was a very different way of using it. People hadn't been able to create businesses off of Instagram, like their influencers weren't really a thing and or if didn't really even exist. I actually remember one of my first modeling agents saying like, you need to stop posting because you're doing too much in this space. Like, you know, mod- she didn't say this part but the modeling industry at the time was very smoke and mirrors closed off very elite and meanwhile I'm showing people behind the scenes I'm bringing them onto set with me I'm talking about what the process of castings are like and how to dress for a casting and really bringing them into the space that for so long had been mysterious and I loved it and my audience loved it so I thought why would I ever stop doing that it really resonated with people 
So I just did what worked and also what felt true to me. So I had a very strong sense of what I wanted women like me to be branded as and seen as, as really strong, remarkable, beautiful, capable, confident women. And I wasn't going to stop. And like, I had so much like creative, constant creative inspiration of how I wanted to rebrand a girl and I would think about campaigns but instead of waiting on a brand to shoot a campaign I just set it up myself and create images around it at the time I also had a blog um, and I would just write about the thoughts that I had around mental health and you know working and just anything like being human that was the hashtag I used at the time just like being human what did that mean um, so no no game plan I didn't even know like what worked when it went viral I just knew what people liked and I knew what I enjoyed creating and it was almost like a perfect match and just yeah it, it worked out for me fantastic and uh, one of the things I noticed as well is it's changed over time in terms of what works on Instagram there's everything from like the algorithms to the hashtag news to you know the trending content of the time you know there was a time when it was all about hey look how cool and flashy my life is and then people were like wait we actually want to see behind the scenes right like you mentioned they want to know the story behind the person and the reality behind it because it felt almost too fake people got over the whole everything is flashy and my life is perfect and I started to see people gravitate towards the authentic side of things and I can see a lot yeah. of startups as well that share more about their story and their brand and why they got into it or, mm. you know, um, true customer testimonials, not only about their best customers, but, you know, customers that didn't necessarily like their product, you know, they'll share all that. And so uh, someone that's looking at their page can really resonate and gravitate towards what they're, they're about because it's authentic, you know, I, mean, I think yeah. it of the common flashy, Hey, look at my life. But from your perspective, I mean, looking at it from an influencer perspective and growing your audience and being authentic, how did you balance out those two things between, Hey, I want to do what's trending and I want to grow my audience because at the end of the day, it is a numbers game, right? You need to attract many eyeballs, but then stay authentic and true to myself mm. and post stuff that I actually want to post. Yeah. So the ecosystem of Instagram has definitely evolved and changed so rapidly. And at first my images were a mixture of like, professional images modeling stuff to behind the scenes and it had this lovely um, mixture of like candid with professional and aspirational and from then I think it then evolved into people loving like everyone's feed becoming very curated and then it became to like it, then Instagram camera got, I mean iPhone camera got really great so then iPhone pictures got a lot more engagement because people could really relate to them as you're saying and then stories got introduced and stories really changed the dynamic because now we can see the voice and the accent and the person behind the images and that gives another dynamic to it algorithms are constantly changing and I don't work at Instagram but I, I as a user a very large user of it I felt that whatever the brand and product is prioritizing that has really impacted on what the creator does um which can be very annoying at times to constantly keep up with like where I'm at now is I'm, I'm done with trying to keep up with whatever's um like of you know interest at the time or um or what people are you know how to like capture people's attention the fastest the quickest because what you know what I've noticed over time is like 
I got lucky because actually my industry was extremely visual. I was trying to be a model. That is very captivating. And, you know, at the time, curves were something that were celebrated and new and exciting and interesting to see. And Instagram just democratized. It wasn't like women like me who never existed before, but we were able to like brand ourselves. Whereas before there was the gatekeepers of advertisers and big brands showcasing us in the way that they wanted to see us. So I felt like I fell into an industry and Instagram is somewhere that like visually we were, it was congratulated. Like it would be harder to probably get momentum off of a, um, like a candlestick than a woman showing her body. Like that, it's a very different, um, it's very, it's captivating in different ways. So, I mean, Instagram is, you've got to understand like the platform works differently for different things. Um, and I would approach social media from a brand perspective and a startup perspective. I would just approach social media in a way that what is what works best to talk to your audience with the product you have and know that maybe Instagram's not always the place for you. Plus, people are also really fatigued with ads, I feel, at the moment. Like Instagram influencers before were very new and different. And we really started because we enjoyed sharing as a hobby. I did it for years, probably like four years without really getting any paid work from it. And I was posting more than I do now. And now it's my job, which seems like doesn't really make sense. But before I just lived and breathed nonstop, whereas now there's boundaries and I will take time out and I won't share everything. Um, And I think because it's so saturated, people using it and feeling a little bit skeptical of, are you selling me a product or is that real? Do you truly believe in it? Do you truly use it? Or are you getting paid to say that? So yeah I'm I'm interested to see where it's going um where Instagram will evolve and be but it's it's just evolved so much to a point now where I think we aren't using it at all in the same way that we was at first where it was like a fun social platform it still is but people are becoming more savvy I think and skeptical yeah I couldn't agree more and so if you had sort of pieces of advice for um small businesses or people that are just starting out and trying to be influencers to have some sort of leadership within their specific niche um, starting out, uh, what would you give to them, especially from a content creation um, perspective? Did you sort of create content a week in advance and then sort of schedule it to go out at certain times? Um, Did you use certain platforms to help you do that? Um, You know, how did you think about distribution from uh, either a platform perspective. So you're thinking, okay, I'm going to post this on Twitter, this on TikTok, this on Instagram, like kind of walk us through like the day-to-day and how you yeah. plan your content strategy and distributing that on a, on a regular basis. Yeah. So I would say that I'm probably the worst person to ask because <laughs> I was never digital first. Um, I was never digital native that I built my career in the modeling industry in business. And I just, reported online what I was doing Mm. so as I was growing here I was posting what I was up to and people just to so that people could gain an insight I loved building communities I loved sharing my progress because my win felt like everyone's win and that was how I originally grew and then in the last I'd say four years when Instagram social media became something I monetized I had to figure out what's my strategy everyone what I've learned is everyone does this differently some people have agents and managers some people have in-house teams and build the um the, the business around like independently um I 
in the last four years had a manager and they would help me with my social media brand deals. They managed all the legal and all of that. My pro- my priority was making sure that the content was interwoven with my life as a model, but then also what were my key interests? So I would say for a small business, things that I've had to work on and see differently from, well, actually I've got two answers to this. If you're a CEO of a company, I think maybe one of the ways to do it is bring people into your life and show them what goes on behind the scenes, why you're building what you're building, like bring them into the office, talk about what you do. Because at the end of the day, you're probably busy running a company, right? You don't also want to be a digital influencer because that's friggin' hard to do both. Like they, content creation takes a whole like other hat versus being a CEO. So I would say just incorporate it into your life, make it feel seamless and authentic. And well, as it should be seamless and authentic and like get the support to help you create that content. Um, from a practical standpoint, perhaps get like for me, I have a photographer, I'm about to employ an editor for my YouTube and I will then probably, you know, grow the team out depending on what my content goals are. Um, so there's that if you're a CEO and you want to interweave it into your life, I think that is really, it creates great engagement because I can support your candlesticks, but if I know your why and your expertise and your thought process, your creative process, for me, that stands, that makes that product stand out to just six other candlesticks on the shelf. Cause I'll go, Oh, it's so-and-so's company. They have this background. They thought this, they bring this. And I would say like, write down your like companies. Um, what do you call it? Like six top lines of like what your company's values are so that you never lose it. Because I think one thing I noticed on Instagram is when people come into the space, fresh, new, excited, inspired, inspiring, it's really easy to start looking at what works and then shutting down parts of yourself. I, and I'll speak from experience. I've also seen this happen, but I'll also speak from my own experience. I see what works. And then you end up at, at times, I felt like I've regurgitated what other people are doing because I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's a bit of me but what what I noticed is it diluted my brand and actually spending more time offline focusing on my vision helps bring something new and refreshing so it's that CEO and then from a content creator perspective if your main focus is community building online I would say again write down what your offering is online like how do you want to influence do you want to be a spokesperson do you want to be an interior designer like um well, actually, that's you're an interior designer. You're just bringing your business online. But if you want to share fashion tips, for example, you want to be a fashion influencer. Um, I would look at like I would first of all prioritize reels and TikTok at the moment. Video content is up there. It's you know highly engaging. It's what people are enjoying more of. Um, and I would think about you know what your things are like. Are you going to be focusing on quality? You're going to be focusing on speed of implementation. Um, because it's hard to do everything at once. Um, high quality takes a lot longer, but are you trying to be somebody that like reacts to the culture? If so, when that, there's a headline, like it's going to have to be like run and gun, just do it. So I'd be thinking about that. Um, content planning. Yes, of course. Like you have to be regular and consistent. Otherwise you're just going to rely on maybe a one hit wonder to get you viral. I would be consistent with my work and yes, within the consistency we see this on youtube a lot 
that people might consistently post out a video like three times a week. And actually there's one specific video that people are loving more. Um, maybe it's like your bedtime routine. And so people end up doing more bedtime routine videos and then know that that's what works. So I would, I would play around with it. But one thing I really, really would want to push home is like, do what you love and do what you enjoy. Don't be reliant upon the algorithm or what's hot right now. Like flying to instant fame can also lead to like an instant crash. And so like, I would just really stress, don't do things for the like popularity because for longevity, you need to just contribute in a way that is cutting through the noise, but also a value to people. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. And I wanted to touch a bit more and get your, your thoughts on the negotiations between influencers and brands uh, when it comes to you know the deals. I know that oftentimes you can get paid a couple hundred pounds to post about this product, but you know, walk us through your experience of signing these deals and the economics behind them, because a lot of people struggle with, you know, should I pay this influencer a thousand or should I pay them 200 or maybe on the influencer side, um, they could be like, yeah, okay, 200 bucks is great, but maybe I want equity in the company that's actually um, wanting to be sponsored on my platform because then I can make more money in the long run, you know, things of that nature, but just walk mm. me through how you negotiated your commercial contracts. Um, how did you know what a good price was? And did you ever think of sort of a one-off payment versus like an equity in those companies and things like that? Yeah. So um, for the last four years, I've had management that have been able to, you know, have wonderful brand deals um, set up for me and negotiate on my behalf. They, like I said, would deal with all the legal, with all the um, like requirements and um, the business side of things. I was just focused on being a creator, being an entertainer, a presenter, showing up just like perfecting my confidence and my craft in that respect mm. since actually stepping away from the industry and actually having more of an interest in the business side of things and building those relationships more personally I have found that my negotiation has been very uh individual depending on what the brand is so for a big commercial brand my goals right now is to have a to work with less companies and ones that I genuinely absolutely love in all respects and try to get long partnership deals with them. So that might be like multiple posts scheduled out throughout the year. I'm using their products anyway. I love their products. If it's a product that is consistently shown to my audience, then my audience are only going to respond to it better. And also if they see it all the time, then I know that again, it just resonates better as well. So that's my goal with that. And I negotiate, depending on the company, from a point of maybe they've worked with me in the past once and then they've come back and now they want to schedule in a year contract. I think I, from then I'll decide whether or not that's a company I want to continue working with on a social media basis or if I want more. So sometimes brands have, because I've been a model, they'll book me to work on their campaigns, to be the face of their brand. So that, again, is like a different type of usage and deal and um, uh, payment, basically, because it's separate. It's my modeling work plus social media work. Plus, I can also um, be like Jada Cesar because I've built a social media following so I can do the modeling job. I also have a personal brand that I can be the face of. Plus, I can talk to you on social media. So it's like the package that they want really varies on um, what it is they want me to contribute and do. Recently, I've also pitched to a couple of brands that are small businesses 
that I absolutely love and have been a personal customer of. Like there's one project I'm not going to talk about it because it hasn't, we haven't come to a conclusion, but I found their product on Etsy. I absolutely loved it. It was like a really important part of my life for a long time. And then they got in touch with me and gifted me some of their other product. I tried it. I loved it. And then I am now in conversations about potentially working with them on my own collection within the company. That would be, I would negotiate that deal as a partnership where obviously I'd be showcasing their product on my social media. So it'd be advertising and social media collaboration deals. But then equally, you know, if it works out and they have a budget for me to come and design and create and also um, uh, advertise, then you know, next time round, I might negotiate equity because it's a small company. I see the value that I bring to them. I have expertise in like the marketing branding domain. I also have a very curated audience that I know would love this product because I love the product and I'm talking to people that love what I love. Like that's why they follow me because we have similar interests. So then I would negotiate the equity. If it was like a big company, like, I don't know, at the moment, I don't know, like a L'Oreal or something where I'm an influencer. There's not really much scope for me in that space to ask for equity. You know, I'm not going to necessarily, I mean, maybe there's people listening to this that are like, yeah, you could, but I wouldn't at the moment be comfortable doing that. Um, I wouldn't see the value that I could really bring from a business standpoint that they don't already have. Um, perhaps that would change in the future, but yeah, that's sort of how I, I sort of figure it out. It's case by case. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. And that actually works into the next part, which is the transition. So you're kind of in a bit of a transition phase, which you mentioned. And, uh, you know, behind the scenes, you kind of mentioned that, mentioned that you're looking into angel investing. So I'm curious as to where that idea first came from um, and why you started to look into being an angel investor and sort of the startup space and, you know, VC and all that kind of stuff. Where did that come from? So whilst I was in a pandemic and had a lot of time in my hands, I, so my modeling had stopped, a lot of productions had ended and I loved this momentum I had of creating change and showing my audience like the different types of challenges that we could take on, whether it was, you know, be the face of like L'Oreal, literally like billboards in Piccadilly Circus and changing the um, tagline from because we are because I'm worth it to because we are all worth it like those kind of things really stood out for me when that all stopped I realized that actually I wanted to have more autonomy independence and more say essentially of what I was creating and started to look into well the people that hold most of the power, the people that own the companies, right? The founders, the decision makers, the advisory boards, not a model and not necessarily an influencer. But I do have influence if I create my own thing and dictate that. So I started to look at how I could build my own company. What company would I build? What would it look like? What offering would it have? What do I care about? What solution do I want to put out into the world? And I realized that along coincide, like what coincided with that was actually there's a lot of great stuff in the world that I could support from a financial aspect of people that are doing things I don't necessarily want to do or even have the expertise or specialist skills in, but I trust what they're doing. I can see when someone's about, when they've got the right combination of like drive, vision, expertise, and are committed to building something. So I recognize that. I think I'm a good I mean, I'm very early on in that stage, but I think I have a good skill set of seeing what is 
of, of noticing talent. Um, and so I kind of wanted to just test it out from a, uh, an angel perspective. And I'm currently, and it also taught me because I was talking to founders that were also teaching me how to be a better founder. I'm reading lots of pitch decks every day that I get sent. And I'm like, oh, that makes me think how I could fine tune my deck. And these people, so it was a very like, um, uh, what do they call it? The, um, the, the virtuous circle, like it all fed into each other. Me being a founder, me being an investor and both sides of the coin really helped if I could grow my experience in both spaces. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's so, super exciting. I'm really excited for you as you go on this journey. And I can speak from a sort of investor, VC, angel perspective. You know, I love working with influencers or people that really know their space because you have the ability to identify opportunities and are perhaps closer to the audience than we might be. You know, we get jaded by looking at pitch decks and financials and things of that nature but there's sort of um, your, the scientific part of things. And then there's the art, you know, the science, science is, you know, show me the numbers, show me, show me the traction, show me the business model, those kinds of things. But I don't care how good you are at the numbers. There's always an intuition part of things. There's always, a, you know, being close to the customer and seeing what's new and what's trending and things of that nature and just being close to the boots on the ground. And so I think mm. there's some relationship there. Um, and some unique advantage that you might have as well as you build your investor mindset that'll put yeah. you in a unique position to be sort of this influencer where you're perhaps getting what we call deal flow. So sourcing amazing deals that these VCs that are in their ivory towers or these angel investors would never see. Um, so that's your competitive advantage. You'll get these deals before anyone else does. And, and these people actually want to work with you to be their first seed stage investor, because not only do you have expertise in what they're doing, but you might be able to even help them blow up their brands as well. So they call that smart capital, right? So traditional capital is just giving someone money and hoping they can take off with it. But smart capital is money plus value add. And I think that's mm. probably where you're going to get some sort of, um, you know, niche uh, advantage over yeah. an angel investor, you know? Yeah. As an influencer, you really do have, and even when I was a model, like I would know, I knew intuitively that my career had come to an end because I just, you know, I could feel my audience, like the way body positivity was being represented now was more, was less about the like models. Like we were so excited to have models in this space. And now we're actually wanting to see more real people. And like, I could, yeah, you learn the skill of really figuring out what is next, what, what is needed, what people's feeling tones are because you're on the ground doing the work all day every day and you're getting that feedback all day every day so you know when to sort of pivot or to lean in and I, I never thought about it as a competitive advantage because I just think I love being in this space like on a grassroots level talking to communities but um, of course it would be because you know when the right timing is or I always had like a feeling tone of what is what's come, what should be coming next or what is people are anticipating what's needed what's going to be the reaction to this thing happening and I love that being like ahead of the curve literally I, I really thrive in that space so um yeah I just hope that I mean I got it right for the career that I've previously been in and I'm excited to explore if I can get that sort of predicting headset that I usually have on um, if that works out in the future. Yeah, same here. And what's been the, I guess, scariest thing about trying to dive into this world of angel investing and VC mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff? Has it been smooth sailing or has it been a bit nerve wracking? Have you found a lot of support? Like what's your experience been in, in this transition? 
I'd say it's all been quite terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Partly because the biggest thing is fighting with yourself and having been somewhat successful in my previous career, I've really struggled to one, let go of that and lean into the unknown and two, take off the pressure of not, by me not knowing doesn't mean that I'm not necessarily going to be successful. It just means I haven't tried out this way of doing things before. And so getting over my own stuff has been probably the hardest part. Finding that motivation to connect with other people, to be honest, it's an industry at first, which like the business aspect of things has always interested me, but I've never focused on. And since doing it, there's just been so much that I've learned so much, like from just like the language um, to terminology to certain structures and the way things are being done I really I need, I constantly like practice gratitude for being in this space because I think being naive and an amateur there's so much more space to interrupt and actually question the way traditional things have been done and add add value in a, in a unique way whereas when you've been in an industry for a long time you're like oh that's just the way things are done you kind of become a bit more accepting um, and blindsided in some ways uh so I think that's been the scariest part like learning fast and constantly putting myself out there and also stepping into rooms and being such an amateur like having to get over myself and my own ego and my own like you know I'm like an expert in most rooms and actually now I'm like a complete beginner the flip side of that is I also practice gratitude I'm like look if you're the beginner this also is great because you've got so much space for growth which when you're the expert you're not like you actually never want to always be the expert in any room you always want to grow so I'm always having these like battles with myself but overall it's been really nourishing and I feel the like my wings opening again which is a really energizing feeling yeah Wow, that's great. Rings opening again. That's almost poetic, to be honest with you. Um, I, uh, I remember when I first started off angel investing as well, it was quite scary because you're like, what is a cap table? What is like pro rata? What, what do these terms even mean? And so, you know, hours of podcasts and, you know, going to YouTube sessions where someone's explaining what they do, you know, just trying to make sure that you take your time and really understand the basics before you dive in and make your first angel investment or, you know, decide to partner up with a company. Um, but, you know, it's a long journey. It'll take, you know, a couple of years before you're an expert. But when you start somewhere, much like you did probably when you're starting out your influencer career, you know, one day you just wake up and you're like, hang on, I'm kind of the expert in the room now. Like, I kind of know what I'm talking about, you know. Um, but yeah, I definitely recommend yeah. sort of podcast. There's one uh, by Jason Calacan is called This Week in Startups. Um, I think it comes out almost every other day. That's a great resource. I'd recommend just listen to it. It's like mm. 20 minutes. Um, and uh, there's a lot of good information there. But hey, I yeah. don't want to hold you for too long. We'll probably have to have you back on the podcast at some point. But uh, maybe I'll be introducing you as Jada, the angel investor or Shark Tank uh, participant or something like that. You never know. Well, maybe. Hopefully. Hopefully I'll have my own fund. That would be the goal. Yeah, yeah. There seem to be a lot of people setting up their own funds. Um, You know, I I think everyone's kind of had this awakening like, oh, man, startups and angel investing is, you know, where the next action is at. And so I'm really excited to have more people into this space. But uh, Mm -hmm. I don't think the world would be opposed to a Jada specific fund, maybe even like a, a fund dedicated to your space. Are there many funds that are looking at 
sort of the fashion model, like that industry that you're aware of? Or are you, are you still thinking? Um, no, I haven't. But actually, the interest, the area, it would be more like mission led, female owned companies. That's sort of what I would be really passionate about getting behind. Disruptive, okay. innovative, um, obviously high growth, if that can be all succinct. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a great time to figure it all out. I'm very, very grateful for social media in that respect which is one of my motivations to also continuously use social media in my platform because, you know, in order to know you can be, you have to see it. And I've been so inspired by people like um, Kathy Wood, Arc Investment and like, you know, Naval and, you know, the Tim Ferriss podcast, all of the, those type of um, really informative, almost like consulting in like being a fly on the wall in, in these incredible minds conversations. Um, so yeah, I, I, th- I think that is always, like we're in a good time to do whatever we dream of right now. The inspiration yeah, is out more. there. And especially given the fact that I believe less than 2% of funding goes to all women-led teams, that's something that definitely has to change because um, there are solutions that aren't being funded simply because the people with the funds are not attuned to those solutions. So everything from like women's healthcare to even the way women look at finances and all that, there's a whole market category that people are not getting returns in and they're underserved customers. So I'm sure that we'll Mm. be hearing a lot more from you on that front. And if I noticed correctly, you're also branding yourself in this space on LinkedIn and other platforms as well. So I'm excited to see how things go there. But hey, thanks so much for your time, Jada. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll have you back on the show sometime soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me.